uh, I want to talk to us today about making plans. Making plans. Um, I understand this is, uh, as, as George, you prayed, uh, this is not a very well-known passage. Um, recently had been preaching through First and Second Kings, especially through the lives of Elijah and Elisha. And so when you're doing that, you come to passages where you don't hear uh, very much preaching on. Uh, but it's, it's amazing that the Word of God, every part of the Word of God has something to say about our lives, into our lives, guiding our lives. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. How do we make plans? What is your process? What is your step-by-step uh, -step decision making process uh, when you make plans, big or small? Obviously, today uh, in our passage, we read about a big plan, military, war, warfare. Um, but I think it even comes down to the little things that, that we are confronted with day by day. You know, just driving here, seeing the, 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 the gas station prices, you know, and thankfully it's gone down a little bit. But I think all of us during this season of inflation and high gas prices, we've had to make some adjustments and we've all had to make some extra plans, right? Less going out, more buying groceries. And even when we buy groceries, my wife and I will now look at all the circulars and trying to find the coupons and try to, you know, make the best purchases at the, the, the best stores, something that we didn't have to do before. Um, I've had to make plans as to, you know, I used to be able to get in my car whenever I wanted to and run my, run the errands whenever you wanted to. Now you, you plan. Okay. I've got this, this list of errands. I, I, I don't want to use all that gas. So let me try to squeeze them all in. in one day do this, 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 and let it all be in one, you know, route and you save gas. You know, all of us down to the minute details of our lives. We make plans. How do you make these plans? Today in our passage, we have a king, King Jehoram. He's not a good king. Uh, the, the beginning verses tell us he was an evil king. Uh, not as bad as his father, Ahab. If you know your Bibles, Ahab is notorious as perhaps one of the worst kings, maybe the worst king. Yes, the most wicked king and his wife Jezebel, the worst, the, the, the most wicked queen in the entire history of the, of the scripture, maybe. Um, Jehoram's not far behind, even though he's not as bad as his father. Uh, but the scripture makes it clear. He, he, he walked in the ways of Jeroboam, who, who was the first king of Israel who, who led Israel astray. So Jehoram is not a good guy by, by any means. However, today, in Jehoram's decision-making process, the Bible has something to teach us about how we ought to make decisions. So we're going to talk about today's text in three points. First, what was Jehoram's plan? You know, what plan did he make? Second, how did his plan go wrong? How did his plan go wrong? And then last, what was God's grace? What was God's grace to Jehoram? So first, let's look at Jehoram's plan. Our text describes a war between Israel and Moab. By that time in history, the, the, the nation of 
the 12 tribes, they had split up into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Northern kingdom named Israel, southern kingdom named Judah. Uh, Moab was uh, a, an, a, another country adjacent to, to these two kingdoms. As we read in our passage, during the time of Ahab, Jehoram's father, Moab was under subjugation to Israel. Moab had to pay tribute, a lot of tribute, a hundred thousand uh, lambs and the and the wool of a hundred thousand rams. However, when Ahab died, Moab said, "Now is our time to to rebel. Now is our time to throw that yoke off of our necks and 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 rebel against Israel." And so that's what they did. Now, in order for us to appreciate uh, what happens in the text, uh, I, you know, thank you, Karen, for, for doing this. There's a little insert uh, of a map that I want you to, to briefly look at. Uh, we need to get a little bit of history and geography, so, so that'll help us understand what's going on in the text. There you see the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Israel in the north, okay? To the right of them, or to the east of them, uh, this is the Sea of Galilee, and this is the Dead Sea, Right, the, the, the sea on the bottom, that's the Dead Sea. To the right or to the east of that is the kingdom of Moab. Okay, now it's a little bit hard to see, but you see the dotted lines. Okay, you see that city, Dibon, in the north of Moab, and you see a little dotted line right above that. That's actually the northern border between Moab and Israel. Okay. So the kingdom of Israel actually touches Moab near Dibon, near that dotted line, north of Moab. That's actually where Moab started attacking Israel. We know this because this historical event is one of the very few things that archaeology, archaeologists have dug up uh, stone tablets from Moab, ancient stone tablets from Moab that describe these are the Moabites describing their invasion of Israel. Actually, uh, uh, the, the Moabite king that we read in today's passage, Mesha, he wrote the stone tablets. And so the stone tablets are actually called the Mesha steel. Um, it's very famous. Um, so, so Mesha actually writes a stone tablet describing how he invades Israel by going through the north of Moab. And he conquers a few little towns of, of Israel. That's where the war is taking place, on the northern front of, of Moab. Now, in response, Jehoram, the king of Israel, makes a plan. And when we look at his plan, actually, it's a very good plan. From a human perspective, it looks like, and it sounds like, a pretty darn good plan. Uh, if you have your scripture open... Um, Look again at verses 6 to 9, 2 Kings 3, verses 6 to 9. So King Jehoram marched out of Samaria at that time and mustered all Israel. So he gets all of Israel. Then he went and sent word to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me and battle against Moab? And Jehoshaphat said, I will go. I am as you are, my people as your people, and my horses as your horses. So now... It's not just one verse one. Now it's two verse one. Smart. But he's not done. Verse eight. Then 
Jehoshaphat said, "By which way shall we march?" Jehoram answered, "By the way of the wilderness of Edom." Verse nine. So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah, and the king of Edom. So now, instead of one verse one, instead of two verse one, Jehoram says, "That's not enough. I need three guys, three kingdoms, to help me fight against Moab." Three verse one. That sounds like a pretty smart plan. Next,、uh, the scripture actually describes Jehoram attacking Moab through what's called the wilderness of Edom. Okay, through the wilderness of Edom. If you take a take a look at your maps again, you have Israel in the north, you have Judah in the middle, and then you have Edom in the south. This whole the kingdom of Edom is like ninety percent wilderness. And when I say wilderness, I don't mean like、uh, Yellowstone National Park wilderness. When I say wilderness, this is like the Sahara Desert wilderness. And in fact, if you look on your maps today, this entire area is called the Desert of Sinai. It's a desert place. This is the area where Israel under Moses wandered for forty years. Right? There was no water, no food. God had to what? God had to daily provide manna. Daily provide quail, provide water. Sometimes the Israelites would get frustrated, and Moses had to strike the rock so that water, you know, and they would complain. Right? This was the desert wilderness. So they decide to go this way to the south of Moab. This is what's happening. The war is happening to the north of Moab. All of Moab's forces are to the north. They are attacking Israel. Jehoram decides, "I'm going to go around that and sneak attack, attack them from the south. I have to go through the wilderness, but once I get through that, I get to attack them from the south, where nobody, you know, no army is." By human standards,、uh, Jehoram seems to be making pretty good plans, military plans, battle plans. I mean, these, these make sense. These. Seem like good decisions, good plans.、Um, you know, I was trying to think of examples. You know, a lot of times we have leaders where, when they make a decision, immediately you're like, "That won't work. Something's going to go wrong." Like when we start pulling out our troops out of Afghanistan before the civilians, and we leave all the all the military equipment. Like we don't. Take them out. Like, how hard is it to take out our equipment, and we just leave it there? And then stuff happens in Afghanistan. Immediately, we're like, "That's not a good plan," and all of us can see that. But I think for Jehoram, it appears to be a pretty good plan. Three verse one, and we're 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 attacking them from behind. But something goes terribly wrong. If you look at your scripture, Second Kings. Three verses nine to ten. This is what goes wrong. Verse nine. And when they had made a circuitous march of seven days, there was no water for the army, or for the animals that followed them. Well, you might say, well, there's that, there's that body of water right around the wilderness. Why can't they? Well, that's the Dead Sea. That's it's salt water. You can't drink that. 
They made a circuitous march of seven days, and there was no water for the army or for the animals that followed them. Then the king of Israel said, Alas, the Lord! It's God's fault, not my fault. It's God's fault. Alas, the Lord has called these three kings to give them into the hand of Moab. You know, Jehoram does something that we often do when we make plans and plans go wrong. He, he does something that we often do. We can all relate to this. We make plans. We might not consult God about these plans. And then something invariably goes wrong. And who's the first person we blame? Not ourselves, not our process and our plan making, but we blame God. You know, you understand the frustration of Jehoram. Not only was his army stranded, Judah was stranded, and Edom was stranded. Imagine if the entire armies of Israel, Judah, and Edom had died in that wilderness, uh, Jesus would not be a Jewish person, right? He would have been born under a, a Moabite kingdom. Okay, that was how desperate the situation was. The, the entire three kingdoms, they were stranded. Jehoram's failure shows us Heart of the problem when we make plans, especially when we make plans without consulting God. The problem, no matter how well thought out our, our, our decision-making process is, there are two problems. First, we are finite. We don't have all the wisdom in the world. You know, we think we're, 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 we're dotting all our I's and crossing all our T's and, and thinking of every single, you know, strategy and contingency plan right? Making all the best plans in the world, but we are finite. We don't have all the wisdom in the world to see every possible thing that might go wrong. Second, even if we knew everything there, there was to know in the world, even if we were perfect in our wisdom, we're not powerful. We're not powerful. I mean, the last three years of this ongoing pandemic, if there's one thing that we've all learned, right, is that we are not powerful. We cannot control this thing, this virus. We, we make all the plans, you know, you get vaccinated, you wear your mask, you social distance, and you still can get infected. You still get sick. Um, in fact, my family uh, recently went through about your pastor, our whole family, everybody's safe. So thank God for that. But really, like we were... Like, we all got vaccinated. We all kept our social distance. I mean, I went to work, but I was in my cubicle. You know, talked. The closest person I talked to was maybe, you know, me and me and Karen, right? You know, it was, I don't know, if that, that's probably six feet, right? I have no idea. I have no idea how I caught it. But, but even if we have all the wisdom in the world, we don't control anything. We're not all powerful. You know, um, my son is about to turn my nine months old. Um, and since having him, 
my wife and I have found ourselves making so many more plans. You know, plans about his healthcare, plans about his future, plans about his college. And college, <laughs> you start college savings, you know, this early. Plans about, you know, how we will raise him. You know, there, there there's an infinite number of things that my wife and I, once we put him down for the night, at night we will just sit there and discuss plans. What do you think about this? What if we feed him that? You know, I saw this little thing in the in the store that that sounds interesting. Uh, buffalo, they have buffalo meat now for 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 little babies. Can we feed him that? You know, is he? You know, like we 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 make so many plans about ourselves, about our families, about our futures, and yet we are confronted with those two problems. We don't know everything, and we don't control anything. Now, for Jehoram, somebody once his plan goes wrong, somebody eventually gets a hold of Elisha, and Elisha's response to Jehoram is is very devastating. It, it, it's extremely devastating. Uh, if you look at First Kings three verse thirteen, Elisha comes and he says to the king of Israel, "What have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and to the prophets of your mother." Basically, Elisha is telling Jehoram. You didn't, you didn't, you didn't, you had nothing to do with God before. Why does God have anything to do with you now? You didn't bother God. You didn't bother to seek God before. Why should God help you now? You know that that's really harsh. But I would venture to say this: if God wanted to, that's an answer that God could give each of us. Right, especially in those situations when we make plans, we don't consult Him. Our plans go wrong. Maybe we blame God, and then we come back on our knees, crawling, begging Him, "Please help me out of this situation." Yes, I think God has the right and the prerogative to tell us, "What have I to do with you? You didn't come to me in the first place, so why should I?" Now step in to help you. It's a devastating response to Jehoram. Devastating. And yet, God gives Jehoram grace, and that's part of our lesson for today. You know, Jehoram is not a good king by any means. There is no evidence in Scripture that he ever believed God or that he ever followed God. You know, he is a much worse sinner. Okay. He's in a much worse situation than we who are in Christ, covered by His blood and forgiven in Christ. We are in a much better situation than Jehoram was, and yet God gave Jehoram grace. So if God did that, then of course He's going to give us grace. It's clear Jehoram does not deserve God's help. That's why the Bible calls God merciful. That's the definition of mercy. He doesn't deserve it. He does nothing in the rest of his life to 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 deserve anything. You know, he's not even Saul who turns into Paul, right? Jehoram just is bad the whole way through. Yet, despite this, God is merciful and He helps Israel. Verses sixteen to eighteen. This is what 
God says. Thus says the Lord, I will make this dry stream bed full of pools. Uh, the New King James Version, uh, basically God commands Israel, dig ditches, make this valley full of ditches. For thus says the Lord, you shall not see wind or rain, but that stream bed shall be filled with water so that you shall drink, you, your livestock, and your animals. I apologize uh, when I did this sermon before the church was using a different version of the Bible. I just realized this, okay, because I've got these notes about here's what the New King James Version says, okay? Uh, verse 18. This is a light thing in the sight of the Lord. In the New King James Version that we read, the Bible says this is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. He will give the Moabites into your hand. Notice what God says. He commands them to dig ditches. And then God says, I will take care of it through my sovereign power. It's not, there's not going to be wind. There's not going to be rain. It's not going to be because of a storm. It's not going to be because of natural circumstances that this happens. It's not. You know, sometimes in the desert, they, they tell you you can make these contraptions where it collects dew. And, you know, so you have stuff to drink. Survival YouTube videos, right? That they, they tell you to, 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 to make ditches so that you can collect some water. That's not what happens. This is a supernatural event. No wind, no rain. But the ditches will be filled with water. And so God provides them water, solves one big problem. And God solves the problem of the Moabites. As we read, the Moabites wake up the next morning. They're ready for war. They're worried. Oh, no, they're coming from the south. And so they turn towards the south. They see in the horizon what appears to be blood. You know, it's just the sun shining on the water, but God makes it seem like blood to them. And so they say, on to the camp, O Moabites. And they go into the camp. And they are surprised that all the Israelites and Judites and Edomites are there and they get slaughtered. God gives Jehoram grace, undeserved grace. This wasn't even, Jehoram's life is not even the life of a prodigal son who eventually turns back to God. This is completely undeserved grace for an utter sinner who never turns to God. And yet God gives Jehoram grace. What Jehoram should have done all along was to consult God first. Just as we read in our scripture passage, the Old Testament reading and the New Testament reading, right? Philippians 4 tells us, In all things, by prayer and supplication, Give these all to God. Uh, actually, Kirk, uh, you know, you brought up the King James Version. I'm going to ask you to read. Could you please read Proverbs 3, 5 to 7 in the King James Version? Not the New King James Version, just in the King James Version. Can you read just verses 5 to 7 again? Proverbs? Yes, Proverbs 3. I trust in the Lord with all thine heart, lean not to own understanding, and all thy ways acknowledge him. He should direct thy paths. Need not wise thine own eyes. Fear the Lord that part from evil. Actually, can you read the next verse also? Verse 8. Right. It shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. Yeah. It shall be health to if you trust in God in all your ways, Amen. acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Verse 8 says, He shall be health to thy navel. 
and marrow to thy bones. I have not found another translation of the Bible that talks about that. They all kind of water it down. You know, like we were discussing differences in translation. That that's something. So there is some difference between the King James and the New King James. You lose a little bit of that old school poetry. Okay, the New King James just translated as the, the Hebrew said, "It shall be held to thy navel, your stomach." You know, in in America, we don't we 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 kind of look down on people with with big stomachs. Okay, but in many other countries, uh, people with a healthy constitution are the healthy people. Right, they they are the people that can afford nutrition and food.、Uh, it shall be health to your navel and marrow to your bones and strength to your bones. How do we get that? In all our ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. Think about Jesus. Remember before we we talked about the two problems that we have when we make plans. We are finite. We don't have all the wisdom, and we are not powerful. We don't control anything. Think about Jesus. He doesn't have any of those two problems, right? Jesus is omniscient. He knows everything. He is all wise, and Jesus is all powerful. He is in control of all things. He commands the storm to stop, and it stops. He commands the the the, the blind to see, and he sees, and the lame to walk, and he jumps up. He is the Son of God. He is God, and yet there's this fascinating verse in John six thirty-eight, when Jesus says, "For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me." Jesus, not even Jesus, took matters into His own. Hands. He always did Proverbs three. In all his ways, he acknowledged God, his Father, and he trusted in Him in all his ways. He did not do his own will, but the will of Him who sent him. And he had none of those human problems that that we have. If Jesus does that, if Jesus did that, then more, more so, we have to do that. We who are finite and weak and foolish and not in control. Exactly. But you know, we we we. You know, and the application for us is: Do we have any plans right now that you are mulling over, that you have been discussing with your partner or spouse or friend or you know, you're just doing yourself? That you need to first submit to God. God yeah, but I think I think we get into we get into that mode of thinking, well, God knows it already. So let me just throw Proverbs three out the window, right? Yes, God knows it already, but we still have that onus and that command to commit everything into His hands. You know, so often we get into、uh, autopilot. And we just go about making plans, and just think, oh well, God's got my back. He's kind of like a safety net. And if something fails, then then you know he'll he'll make things right. He's you know he'll he'll do good for me. But no, that's 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 not that's not it. The command is, in all your ways acknowledge Him, 
right? In everything, by prayer and supplication, give them to, to God. That's the command, and that's what we are supposed to do. So friends, let us be people who submit our plans to God. Uh, remembering that promise, that wonderful promise that he has in this chapter. Everything to him is a simple matter. <laughs> Everything to him is a simple matter. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for, for, your, uh, for your grace for Jehoram and the Israelites in that day. Lord, absolutely, they did not deserve your help at all. And yet, you made their paths straight. They did not consult you. They did not worship you. They did not honor you. And they didn't do it afterwards. And yet, Lord, you were gracious to them. And you helped them. And you rescued them out of their predicament. Father, for us, as we make plans, whether they be big plans or small plans, help us, O Lord. Give us the grace. Give us the reminder to obey what you have said in your word, to, to acknowledge you in all our ways and to uh, submit all things to you by prayer and supplication. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.